0: Well, good morning, guys. Again, great to have you here. Good to see some faces back after a little bit. Uh, and I'm really excited this morning because we have uh, a relative of one of our very own here. Uh, Gabe's mother is with us this morning. She is visiting here and, of course, coming to bring the message today. Uh, she's been a pastor for how many years? I'm assuming yeah, a while. <laughs> but she is the outreach and missions pastor at CFA Church in Concord, North Carolina. Uh, So, we love that. Uh, (laughs) And uh, she leads all kinds of missions trips out of their church uh, each and every year, and has also been a part of uh, starting the Dream Center there in, in their county there. So, really excited to have you come speak. Would you welcome her up this morning? Thanks, Nick. He probably looked at all my notes here and went, oh my gosh, she's going to talk for an hour. I could. I'm Gabe's mom. You've been around him, you know, right? Yeah. (laughs) He was like, stop. Don't say another word about me. Um, Thank you so much for the opportunity to um, just share with you this morning. It's not something that I get to do very often, actually. I'm out in the community a lot, but we are a pretty large church there in Concord. Have to correct that northern accent there. Yeah. Um, but so we have a relatively large staff. So my speaking, the majority of the time, is to those out in the community. And uh, I love sharing the gospel wherever I go. And my challenge in this world is to build a bridge between generations. So I hope I find a way, God gives me a way with the Holy Spirit, to build that bridge between my generation and your generation and your cultures this morning because I just love doing that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share with yet another group of your children. I look around at all the diversity here, all the diversity in this city, and that just has to be a picture of what heaven will look like. And I'm just honored to be able to touch it just a little bit this morning, to tap into it just a little bit this week, just to understand that there is unity among us even when we don't see it. Father, I just pray and by the power of the Spirit that you will continue to use my words um, just to invade this atmosphere with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, I'm Southern. You can tell I'm Southern. I'm proud of my Southern roots. I was born in Augusta, Georgia. Um, So if my uh, dialect is a little different, there you go, all right, we found a brother, I built a bridge right there, I connected. Before you know it, I'm going to have little bridges all over the place. Um, Gabe calls me old, I'm not. He does it because it's my son. I wanted to title this message today, and uh, you'll know if I could turn back time. Of course Gabe's first comment to me was, are you going to sing the Cher song? I said, no, but I am going to talk about her about this long. Um, Actually in 1999 was when Cher recorded that song. How many of you in here know Cher? There's every generation. That's a multi-generational icon is Cher. She can't dance too much now, but she still sings. She's got it going on with the vocals. But she is not the first person to ever record a song called, If I Could Turn Back Time. The first song I could actually locate that was, uh, had those lyrics in it and was titled that was in 1960. Um, someone you may not know is a country music recording artist, um, Farron Young. And he recorded that in 1960. But there's also recording artists like Rod Stewart, Bon Jovi, the Backstreet Boys, Tina Turner, Kelly Clarkson, Roosevelt, William Fitzsimmons, Fitz and so many more have recorded a song about turning back time. Why do you think that is? Why is it that so many people would want to sing about turning back time? Is it because of Love Lost? Because many of them tend to be these heartachey, breaky songs. But is it because we just wish we could change something that we had done before that maybe we regret. We want to make some wrongs right We're wanting to correct some bad choices. The list could go on and on and on. And today we want to look at if we could turn back time or do we really want to. So when they asked me to speak to you today, um, I was told that you had been doing a Bible study on Joshua. I was given five chapters to speak on in 30 minutes. All right, I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm going to do my best. Jackie mentioned it this morning. You've been talking about the promises of God in Joshua. And so we'll tap on that this morning, but I want to break it down because I'm also a professor So I want to break it down chapter by chapter by chapter, but I'm going to focus on just one point from each chapter. It's jam-packed, these chapters, with information that's relevant for how to live our life today for every one of us in this room. The passages address justice, love, unity, loyalty, and choices. I want to start with Joshua chapter 20 and to me that chapter is all about justice. I want to focus on one particular verse, but the chapter the previous to what I'm going to talk about is talking about how if someone accidentally kills another person that they were the Israelite children were supposed to establish cities of refuge. And this passage is these cities were set apart for all the Israelites as well as the foreigners living among them anyone who accidentally killed another person could take refuge in one of these cities in this way they could escape being killed in revenge prior to standing trial before the local assembly the cities of refuge they were the most significantly historic cities, and they were also sa- cities of sacred backgrounds. I think there's something very significant that these cities had sacred backgrounds. I was doing a little bit of research, and your mayor, Eric Garcetti, is that correct? Okay. In 2017, said this, Los Angeles will always be a place of refuge. We're the most vulnerable people, certain that any travelers entering our city have the resources and support they need to feel secure and accepted in L.A. Now, I don't know whether or not he's a believer or not. I didn't research that, but you may know that. Here's what I do know. And I'm going to declare several things over you and over this city today. I do know that when the city of L.A. was established, I may cry because when I start declaring things, the Holy Spirit comes. When the city of L.A. was established, when they determined that it was going to be a city of refuge, it was not a political hot topic. It was because someone was leading this city who knew Somehow, these passages in the Word of God. And this city was established to be a city of refuge. Now, the enemy has tried to come and distort that and destroy that and turn it into something that God never intended it to be. But I declare over this city today that it will be the God-given city of refuge that he created it to be, and he will use you to be his ambassadors, to help turn it around. And you're looking, how can that be? We're just a remnant of a believers. God is known for doing the miraculous through a remnant of believers. This city belongs to God. He created it as such, the very foundation of it. I was telling Gabe the other day, I said, this city has a prophetic, a prophetic anointing on it. Hollywood has a prophetic anointing on it. You would not believe the number of movies that come out of Hollywood that have been written and produced by people who are non believers, but the Holy Spirit has used those movies to transform the lives of other people. Imagine what LA would be if Christians rose up to the calling that God had given them. And started producing these movies and turning the city around to what God created it to be. I declare over L.A. that it will become the city that God created it to be. That people will be unified in this city. And they will come to know the one true living God who wants to desperately have a relationship with them. Today, I want to declare over you Over this church, over dwell, that you are a city of refuge. That not only will this church be a city of refuge, but you yourself will be known as a city of refuge. What does that mean? It's a place of refuge from the murderous lies the enemy speaks into our lives, a place of refuge from the vindication of Satan who would seek to destroy us and everyone who wants to find Jesus. You are that city of refuge. You are that person that others who don't know Jesus can come to and find that safety and place of refuge that they're desperately looking for. You are a city of refuge. The reason God design cities of refuge in places having sacred backgrounds is that the refugees, which are near and dear to my heart, would have asylum under the covering of a priest. They stayed there until that priest died. That priest covered them. Whatever pastor leads this church, and I know you're in transition, but you are that covering. You're standing right now in the gap, Nick, for whoever that may be, but whoever that may be, you're the one. You, have, you are responsible. Your new pastor, whoever that may be, is responsible for that covering over every person in this room and every person who walks through the doors of your church. They should be able to find safety in that pastor who's here. Safety and protection, encouragement. But not only is the pastor responsible for that, but every person in that city was responsible for the protection of that refugee. You see, we're all refugees of some sort until we find Jesus. We all come from a foreign land of sin until we find Jesus. And you, those who are helping to disciple others, to give spiritual covering, you are that place of refuge for people needing Jesus. Those who are doomed to spiritual death without your intervention, there is a reason the name of your church is dwell. The Spirit of the Lord dwells here, and other people should find peace when they walk into this door, these doors of dwelling. Not only is dwell a place of refuge, but you are those persons offering that refuge. When Jesus is in you and the Holy Spirit fills you, you become a place of peace wherever you step your feet. You do realize, and I may go off a little bit here because there are some things that I always lean into. God tells us that wherever we step is ground that we are taking for him. Wherever your feet hit the ground, you are taking ground for Jesus. I don't know if you think about it or not, But if you are actively aware of that, can you imagine? God, I'm taking it for you. I'm taking it for you. I'm taking it for you. You would be shocked at the difference that that will make, not only for dwell, but for the kingdom of God. You are claiming peace everywhere you go, you are a place of refuge. People see the promises of God fulfilled in you, and they're hungry for what you have. Joshua 21. So how'd you like that chapter, right? Joshua 20. I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know. All right, Joshua 21. So the theme for me in Joshua 21 was love. The love of God fulfilled. Here's where we read about God fulfilling all his promises that he made to the Israelites over all the years, and he fulfilled them. He had started dividing up the land. He had started giving the the tribes their land, and here's where his promises were complete. Verse 20, chapter 21 Verse 45 says, Not a single one of the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Let me go back. Not a single one of the promises that the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. So what was the promise? If we go back to verse 43... Here are the promises. The Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. They took possession of it and settled there. God has given you this land. His promise will be fulfilled in you. His promise will be fulfilled and dwell. The enemy would like nothing better to do than to tell you it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but I'm here to tell you, God's promises are true. If he promised you this land, then this land is yours. They took possession, and the Lord gave them rest. So that was part of his promise. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. We don't need to worry about next month, next year. God, the omnipresent God, is already in your future preparing the way for what you're getting ready to step into. He's already there. So there's no need for you to worry about it. He's been making the way for you. So he promised them land. He promised them rest. And he said that none of their enemies could stand against them. Lean into those words. Your enemies have no power over you. Who are your enemies? Who are your enemies? It's not people. People are not your enemies. Remember when Jesus looked at Peter and said, "Get behind me, Satan?" He loved Peter. Peter was one of his beloved, not he's not John, we know that, but Jesus loved Peter. And yet he was able to look beyond the person and see the enemy trying to use his beloved friend against him. We must realize that our enemies are not the people around us. Our enemy is Satan. He's already been defeated. And we have to remember that. So the promises were the land, promises was rest. How many of you need rest? I need rest. So if I'm not worrying about tomorrow, I've got rest. Do you understand? Cuz most of our stress comes from worry. But if we realize he's already done it, we can rest. And then he promised that none of their enemies would stand against them, for the Lord helped conquer them. So again, not a single one of the good promises the Lord had given the family of Israel was left unfilled, everything, everything he spoke came to pass. Today, I declare over you not only, so let me back up a minute. So part of Israel had been given land here on the western side of the Jordan, And then the remainder, it was just a few of the tribes that went to the western side of the Jordan. And this is significant. And then the others remained on the east. But the Lord now told them, once this scripture had, had, once his promises had been fulfilled, he said, now it's time for you to go home. It's time for you to go back home on the west. It's time for you to go back home on the east. So they started moving toward that. I declare over you that you are a place of rest. You are a home to those who are desperately searching for it. This is not an inheritance. This is a promise of God, a dwelling place. So I want to move forward then to Joshua 22. And that chapter to me speaks of unity. So what happened now was those on the west were leaving, and as they're, right before they cross over the Jordan, they build an altar. And all of a sudden, all sorts of divisions starts happening because technically the altar was in the temple. So all of the Israelites on the eastern part of the The Jordans came running out and they were saying, how dare you build this altar? What are you trying to do? You know, why are you setting up a tabernacle of your own? And all sorts of division, just crazy division started among the tribes. It didn't make sense. They had won all these battles. God had fulfilled all his promises. And now there was this division, this crazy, stupid division. And the ones on the west were like, no, 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 no. We're just setting up a memorial. it's called a standing stone. We're setting this up so that gen- generations beyond us will remember that we were part we're part of Israel. Standing stones are come on in <laughs> Standing stones are rocks forming a rock that was there in the area and they would put... Um, like a concrete covering over it that they could inscribe on it. And they would inscribe words on the rock to tell everyone who passed that rock what had happened on that place. So they said, that is what we're doing. We're building this memorial so that the generations beyond us will know that that we helped in the battle, that we're part of you, we're unified with you, but God has now told us we can go to our dwelling place. And so they grappled over, and finally they realized, oh, yeah, okay, we get that, it's okay, move on, move on. We bless you as you go. There's always going to be someone who leaves. But if we're in unity, if we understand the perception of others, if we just communicate with one another and try to get just a different pers- perspective on, on why th- God, they feel like God is leading them somewhere, then we bring it back together and go, oh, it's okay. I bless you as you go. I bless you as you go. That's what they needed to do. I um, want to bring it down to earth a little bit. <laughs> so how do we create our own memorial stones? When I come to visit Gabe, he's the best because he's not around family very much. And so when he comes home or we come here, one of the first things he'll start doing is start bringing up past memories. And I'm sure you guys do the same thing. You go home and you start talking about things that happened to you as a kid. And and uh, typically, we draw upon our favorite memories. And some um, we know Like some memories he has, he brought up one this week, and I'm like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, but tell me about it. But the thing about that is I realized that those memories that we share with one another are ways that we're creating memorial stones in his home. It's the way that Alex is learning more about his family. It's the way that their children is learning about the family and the things that we believe, the things that we love. It's how his kids get to know their grandfather and his extended family and my extended family. And there's these standing stones to remind not only his generation, his children's generation, but hopefully the generations beyond them about our family and the things we love and and believe in. So I wanted to show you a 30-second video clip of one of the favorite things. Hopefully you'll pick up on both of it. We used to love to go to Kentucky at Christmas and spend time with my husband's family. So if you look in the lower left-hand corner, you may see someone you know when they were about five years old. But I just wanna play this real quick for you. Away and amen, there's no fear for us. The little Lord Jesus lays down his feet. gonna end it right there you can't take much more than that that's our (laughs) that's our memorial stone but here's two things that we are constantly reminded of when we see that how much we loved the christmas holidays with family and how much we loved jesus and taught our kids about jesus from the time they were little gabe started singing it and then you saw him sit down he took his rest right then oh my goodness but he looked his kids looked so much like him I I would love to tell you more and more and more stories. My husband always talked, they even to this day talk about great aunts, great uncles, and I'm like, I don't know who these people are, but I feel like I do, because I'm hearing them talk about their memories, their memorial stones that they're setting up. My great grandmother on my mom's side of the family, grew up in a time where there were horses and Indians. They lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and as she got older, she started having hallucinations about horses and Indians circling her house, getting ready to attack. But see, they weren't hallucinations, they were memories from what happened to her as a child. When I began to hear stories like that, all of a sudden, time shortens. Because I'm like, that was my great-grandmother who lived like that. that. That My great-great-mother was a Cherokee Indian on my grandfather's side. And all of a sudden, this time lapse just is shortened. This it, it's just crazy, but I feel like I was right there part of it, but praise God I didn't have to be because I probably been been shot with an arrow, you know, but it's just, I I don't know how to describe it, but I, I've gone back in time, but I haven't. I've taken those memory stones and, and used them for today to, to be proud of who God has created me to be, and how can I take even my great-great-grandmother who was an Indian, how can I take that fighting spirit that God instilled in that culture and use it for today. He didn't, that is part of my past, but he intends for me to use it now in my future and in my present. What memorial stones are you leaving in your family? Does your family know you love Jesus? How are you setting up traditions for them to remember that you love Jesus? Do you have family prayer? Do you have mealtime prayer? My mother used to pray with me before I'd go to bed every night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. This is as a kid. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I did not do that with my kids. I mean, they would have no memory of that. Because that's a creepy memory to me. But what it did have effect on is my prayer life. I knew that I could turn to God in everything. The enemy will always try to create disunity. I'm trying to hurry here. I got six more pages now. I'm sorry. (laughs) The Israelites on the east of the Jordan used words to indicate that they were threatened by their brothers and sisters who were moving into their land on the west. We can't get inside of their heads to know exactly what was going on, but we do know that what was happening was about to create division. Those moving to the west side of the Jordan had pure intentions in their hearts for creating the memorial, but those on the east had a completely different perspective. Perspective and perception can make all the difference in the world. Ask questions, communicate, peace comes when we communicate. I declare over you today that God has made you a standing stone. Wherever you go, wherever you go, people should know that you represent Jesus. You are the representation of Jesus to the world. to move forward and combine chapters 23 and 24. Chapter 23 to me was all about loyalty and chapter 24 was about choices. Chapter 23 verse 10 says, each one of you will put to flight a thousand of the enemy for the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Chapter 24, we're challenged to make a choice to serve God. We must put away the notorious idols of the 21st century. For me, I started thinking about it and thought, what are some of the idols? I believe self-preservation is an idol in the 21st century. We're very interested in making sure we are taken care of. It's difficult for us to step out of our comfort zone to look at others first. I believe materialism is an idol. And then I'm going to put a blank right here. And I want you to take a word that you consider an idol and put it in that blank. (sighs) Serving God is our hope for the future. You are to use the blessings you've received and realize that they're from God. Use them to inspire you in your love and service to God. Joshua 24 says this, But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Choose today whom will you serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates? Don't let the words of the Old Testament get you all mixed up. That's not what this is about. Our relationship with God makes these words relevant for us today. What gods are you going to serve? Or are you going to serve the Lord who brought you out of bondage? So we are to love the Lord our God, we are to serve the Lord our God, and God is faithful to his promises. You are a city of refuge, you are a place to call home, you are a, re- a memorial stone of Jesus. William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army and was in L.A. quite often, he was from London, but. He founded the Salvation Army to minister to the poor. He said this While women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry, as they do now, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl on the streets, While there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. I'll end with this and try to do it quickly. My husband has convinced me that every Star Wars movie, Avengers movie, Marvel movie is a chick flick. Okay? I just want you to know that if there's a girl in the movie, if there is any indication, if they even look at each other like they could be more than friends, it's a chick flick. So because of that, I have faithfully watched all the movies with him and have become a great fan. So of course, when Endgame came, I had been following all of the movies and decided that I wanted to see this because God speaks to me these, through these movies. I'm telling you, Lord of the Rings is my favorite. I, I, I can't tell you. That's why I know there's an anointing on Hollywood and the movies that come out. Now, all of them aren't, but I know there is because God speaks to me. So we've been watching all of these movies, and we come to Endgame. And I find that they, ultimately, it's the legacy that we leave that has everything to do with the condition of our heart. Not the women combined in this movie could beat Thanos. They couldn't. They couldn't win the battle. Not the men combined couldn't win the battle. All of them together won the battle. Ultimately, it was the heart. So there's three heroes to me in this in this final movie. The first one of course is Thor. He had messed up, we know that, and he had to make his new weapon, right? Thor made his own weapon and he made that weapon through the sacrifice almost of his life through the star. I don't know what you guys are all looking at. <laughs> is he building a tent out there? He's decided that this is going to be his dwelling place also. So Stormbreaker was uh, built out of the sacrifice of Thor and Groot's arm. Um, Steve Rogers, who we know as Captain America, he earned Mjolnir, the hammer, as his weapon of warfare because of the purity of his heart. Tony Stark, who we know as Iron Man, And his very memorial in this movie said, we're sending out this memorial to prove that he had a heart. The choices we make are an indicator of where our heart is. You too have weapons of warfare. You have spiritual gifts. But if they are not being used for kingdom advancement through prayer, Witnessing, discipleship, and humility, all for the purpose of serving God. You are no more than a clanging gong. How are you using what God has given you? How are you serving God? How many people have you spoken to about Jesus today, this week, this month? This year, I'm here to tell you that God divinely places a person in your life every day for you to tell about his love for them. He loved them so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to shed his blood so that they could have a relationship with him. How many people have you invited to church How are you becoming that memorial stone God has turned you into? Do we desire to turn back time for a do-over? Here's the beauty of God's love. His grace and mercy is so thick for you that every morning there's a new do-over. Every morning. So you don't have to go back into time. You don't have to turn back time, but you can make a determination that today is going to be a new day for you and your walk with the Lord because of what he's empowered you to do and who he's empowered you to be. You have a choice to make.